Uh, Tonight's Bible reading comes from Luke chapter 12, verse 13 to 21. The parable of the rich fool. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. Jesus replied, Man who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said to them, Watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. And he told them this parable. The ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones, and there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, this is very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Glad to see you here. I'm glad to see some of you on, on live stream as well. Uh, it's only a grand final weekend. Who cares? There are no dragons, no bulldogs. Does anyone, any supporters in here, the Penrith or Parramatta? Oh. Oh, I'm sorry, welcome. Lovely to have you here supporting which team? Penrith. Beautiful part of the world. I used to live out that way. So we are, just for those who come regularly, we are... We canned the rest of the Judges series, by the way. You heard last week, Matt was warning you about what was going to happen. You know what happens in Judges? The people did evil in the eyes of the Lord. People did evil in the eyes of the Lord. We're done. And then Jesus comes and becomes our saviour. We thought grand final day, let's have something more applicable to what's happening today. And I've called it, don't lose your soul to temporary success. Now, last year after the grand final, uh, some Penrith Panthers players prayed together. I don't know if they thank God uh, for winning or they just simply thank God that God is good and glorious, but uh, a number of the the guys are are Christians. I must say a few years earlier, it was the Parramatta guys all gathering, we have photographs of the Parramatta guys all gathering together in prayer. So people were saying that uh, the grand final might be big, but God is bigger. God is worthy of our worship. Now, Brazilian footballers uh, are famous for removing their jerseys at the end of the game to reveal their t-shirts underneath, well, I belong to Jesus, and they've done that at a World Cup. I did hear that there's new rules in Brazil, uh, FIFA rules, that you can't take off your shirts and evangelise any longer. But there you go, uh, I belong to Jesus. Other sports people are pointed John 3.16, and uh, under the eyes, all different places, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Others hold up placards and so on. They want to say that there's something more significant than temporary football success. Jesus once said, what good is it for a person to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? We must say, what good is it for a person to win the grand final and be a superstar and become famous and have a lot of money to buy a lot of houses yet forfeit their soul? The truth is many people in our society today and uh, live for this world and this world alone. They're obsessed with what the world offers them. Money, wealth, possessions, a sporting victory, a successful career, maybe a good marriage, responsible kids, nice car, fine friends, fun vacations, and a comfortable retirement. 
And when it comes to the end, and you'll notice this at various funerals even of non-Christians, they hope they have a painless death and they hope there is no hell and maybe hope there is a heaven. Men and, men and women who forfeit their souls to gain the world. Uh, sometimes you, you read some really bizarre stories. And I, there's a story a few years ago when there was some flooding down at uh, Bexley. Do you know it was at Bexley Road down the Wallow Creek? There's always floods over there and the cars can't get through. And there's a lady called Mrs Choi. Mrs Choi was standing on top of her car, flood waters threatening to wash her away. She clutched her shoes in one hand and a handbag in the other. A helicopter paramedic was winched down to rescue her. Been on her car roof for an hour following the flood in Wallow Creek in Bexley. She was exhausted and suffering from exposure. The paramedic, uh, Tim Thistleton, said, I told her she needed both hands free for the lift so I could lift her and save her. But she wasn't going to leave her handbag and her shoes behind, she said. She wouldn't let them go. So crouched on the car roof of the fast-moving Wallow Creek a few centimetres below and rising, Mr Thistleton knew further argument was a dangerous waste of time. So I just grabbed them off her and lifted her. She was really, really happy. We had her bag and her shoes. Happy to be rescued, but not without her shoes and her handbag. People are often like that, aren't they? We think that what gives us ultimate meaning and value is our possessions rather than our relationship with God. Now, in Luke's gospel here, we have a story about a man who has put his confidence in his possessions, firstly. And we get a story before we get to the parable itself. There's someone in a crowd came to Jesus, right? Jesus in a crowd, he's talking to people, and this one man walks up and he says, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. You assume if he's saying that the brother might be in the vicinity. You imagine in a crowd, and he's going to the rabbi, say, Rabbi, brother's not doing the right thing. Slap him down. Tell him to do the right thing. Tell him to give me my share of the inheritance. Now, imagine uh, that your brother said that, and you're standing in front of Jesus, the rabbi, and the crowd. How would you feel? Offended, upset, not sure what's going to happen. Well, you know, let's go behind the shed and sort this out. I don't know what, what you're thinking, what these people are thinking. And But Jesus said, man who appointed me judge or an arbiter between you. Then he said, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. He goes to the rabbi. It's not unusual uh, for people to ask a rabbi to help to, to um, sort out these difficult situations about dividing inheritances. Not an unusual request. Fair. Probably not fair in the middle of a big crowd. But you see, it's clearly the boys are not sorting out how they're going to divide the land. It's probably land, their possessions. Often uh, an Israelite has land and working out who gets what part of the land. It's not easy to divide it up and then to divide up the money. But this man simply says to Jesus, sort it out, I want my half, I want my money. And Jesus doesn't do it. Why doesn't he do it? Why doesn't he say, yeah, okay, show me your plans. Let's sort out what to do. Because I tend to think that Jesus knows that the very request in this context, in this place, is going to create a long-term rift between the two brothers. Right? It's going to create a rift. The brothers, if Jesus, uh, and Jesus wants to say there's something more important than possessions, there are relationships. This guy might be right. He may deserve something. His brother might be... Uh, 
you know, a real troublemaker. But he's what we might call a naked cry for justice. This man is simply saying, give me my rights at the expense of his relationship with his brother. Friends, I've seen that happen, by the way. I've seen that happen after someone dies in a family. And there's a will. And someone's not happy with the will. And they go to court week after week, month after month, and the lawyers are making a lot of money trying to decide who gets what in the will. Relationships are broken. People, brothers, who no longer talk together. Sisters who no longer talk. There's this desire for money that destroys relationships. Jesus chooses not to destroy the relationship. He simply says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? I refuse to be the judge in this matter. I will not encourage the breakdown in your relationship with your brother. Life is not about possessions. And then he turns. Watch out. The guy comes and asks for a request, thinking he's going to get his way. And all of a sudden, Jesus says, watch out. In other words, you're going to be an example, mister. (laughs) You wanted the money. You wanted me to have a go at your brother. You're going to be the negative example here. He says, watch out. Be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. He's right, isn't he? Jesus said in Matthew 6.24, you cannot serve both God and money. Some people put money first. I read a story about a lawyer. Obviously, if I'm telling you a story about a lawyer and his BMW, it's going to be part joke, right? And um, the lawyer, we're told, opened the door of his BMW when suddenly a car came along, hit the door, ripping it off completely. When the police arrived at the scene, the lawyer was complaining bitterly about the damage to his precious BMW. Officer, look what they've done to my Beamer, he said. You lawyers are so materialistic, you make me sick, the officer said. You're so worried about your stupid BMW, you didn't even notice that your left arm was ripped off. Oh no, he said. Where's my Rolex? (laughs) People are as stupid as that in real life, aren't they? It's the husband who works long hours to secure his family, yet one day he comes home and his wife and the children are no longer there. He hasn't built a relationship. He's chased the money, the house, the holidays, the possessions, and he finds a note saying, we're gone. I've taken the kids. You chase money rather than a relationship. He got his money, but he lost everything. Young, uh, successful footballers uh, earn a lot of money before they know how to handle it, right? You've got people who are 19, 20 years of age. I was reading some guys just bought his first house, first million dollar house, plus somewhere in the eastern suburbs. Pay packets, big pay packets really early on. And some of them have good managers, thankfully, pray for the, the young footballers who helped them to navigate and to purchase properly and invested well and help out their parents who often don't have very much, who've, who've sacrificed for them and they help their parents out, buy a home and so on. But some get caught up in the money, in the partying, the drunkenness, the prostitutes, the lifestyle of affluence. Too much spare time and too much money, don't know what to do with it. Jesus says, watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. It is foolish to be a self-obsessed materialist. And he tells that story, the parable uh, told there, the ground for a certain rich man, get the picture here, yielded an abundant harvest, right? This is a great harvest. He thought to himself, listen to the language, he thought to himself, what shall I do 
I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink, and be merry. The comfortable life, the Australian life. But God said to him, you fool, this very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be for whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich toward God. The crowd would be expected to condemn the man in the story, as Jesus tells him. Yeah, you're an idiot. Why did you not think about others? Why did you not think about God? He only thinks about himself. He's, had a, he's already rich, this fellow, but he's got a bumper crop. He's going to be filthy rich. But he thinks about himself. Now, normally, we got, when God has blessed you in an Israelite community, you meant, firstly, to thank God, praise God for his blessings. Offer a portion of the crop to the synagogue, where some would be sacrificed, some kept for the maintenance of the priests, and the rest given to the poor. This man doesn't praise God, he doesn't get, go to the synagogue. According to the Apostle Paul, the Christian should work for two reasons. So as not to be a burden to others, 2 Thessalonians 2, so that he may be able to give to those in need, Ephesians 4, 28. By giving to the needy never enters his mind, and praising God never enters his mind. The other thing as well as celebrating and giving to God, he should celebrate his good fortune with his community, family and friends. What happened in the parable of the prodigal son? When the prodigal son came home, what did the father do? He threw a feast. He threw a party. He celebrated. You celebrate good news with your community. This man has a bumper crop. He did not celebrate with his community at all. He doesn't think about the community. What does he do? There's no praise of God. There's no feast to bless others. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. He's a self-absorbed man. He discussed with himself or he dialogued with himself, sort of the language here in this text. I don't have barns big enough. What am I going to do? I know what I'll do. I'm pretty clever. I made a lot of money and I'm clever. I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and I will store all my grain and my goods. Then I'll say to myself, you have plenty of good things laid up for many years. Take life easy, eat, drink and be merry. What I do, my barns, my grains, my goods. In the Greek, there are 12 personal pronouns. I or my. He never thought about God or others. He thought simply of himself. Money does that to you. Fame and glory does that to you. Look how good I am. I scored the match-winning try. <laughs> Look how good I am. I, I get the daily M. Look at how good I am. There's a temptation and the danger to be self-absorbed when you are successful. But this man is separated from God. He's separated from his fellow men and women. In fact, he is alone. And you get to the punchline. God says, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? His life was on loan from God, and so is yours, and so is mine. For him, it was now over. A man with plenty of wealth, but with no good relationships with God or with others. And this is how it will be with anyone who stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. He's self-indulgent. He doesn't honour God. He doesn't glorify God. He doesn't live in light of God's goodness and God's forgiveness. We need to make a decision to be rich toward God, Luke 13, 21. Don't be a fool, says Jesus. Be rich toward me. 
Have a right response to man. For us, we know with the death and the resurrection of Jesus that we call men and women to believe in Jesus. Our Wellington team have been in Wellington teaching the Bible to young kids at Wellington Baptist Church. I think they had 40 kids on Friday, 30 to 40 kids uh, each day. To help them to know that there is something more important than wealth and possessions, there's a relationship with God. They wanted to be rich towards God. Put God first, honour him, trust him and follow Christ. John Chapman, uh, the late John Chapman, is an Australian speaker, tells the story of being on a Sunday school picnic as a child to the Royal National Park. He said they had a great time rowing boats, hurling water over each other and, and mucking about. He said a small boy who couldn't swim fell out of a boat into the water. The teacher who couldn't swim jumped into the water to save him. It's a disaster happening, right? He grabbed the boy as he jumped in and threw him towards the boat. The kids in the boat pulled up uh, using the oar, pulled this little kid to safety onto the boat. But the teacher's legs got caught in the weeds and the current had moved him underwater. The boat drifted away from that spot. By the time the kids had called for help, three quarters of an hour had elapsed before they recovered the body of that teacher. So they never went there again. It was a terrible tragedy. And Chapman writes, that little boy was slightly younger than me, so I guess now he would be about 65. I don't know if he ever thinks about it, but if this morning when he woke up, he said to himself, I'm alive today because Mr. Brooks died for me, you wouldn't think he was exaggerating, would you? He says, Jesus' death was like that, but much more profound. God demonstrated his own love for us in this while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Friends, I'm so excited that some of these footballers love Jesus, aren't you? Not because they're footballers. They're not going to necessarily win because they're followers of Jesus. You've got to learn to lose well when you're a footballer or a tennis player or whatever, whatever sport you happen to play. But to know that there is, for them there is something more important. If they lose, God is still sovereign. God is still good. God is still a great saviour. And if they lose, they can still share the good news of Jesus with others. They can still pray, gather together. I love seeing the, uh, often the Islander teams, the Fijian uh, rugby side comes out. And they're singing praises to Jesus before or afterwards. And, there's, and everyone comments on it, the fact that they are singing to God. They gather, they know all of life is a gift from God, and they want to celebrate it. God has given us forgiveness and given us new life. And today on Grand Final Day, we remember the most important thing in our lives is to know Christ and to follow him. We need to be prepared for eternity because we don't know when our end will come. Uh, Christmas last year, and my younger brother had a heart attack, 59. Healthiest guy you'd know. Cycles every day, doesn't have an ounce of fat anywhere on him. His stomach is half my size. But then one night he got up and felt awkward, sat up, couldn't sleep. In the morning he went over to the coffee shop where all the other cyclists normally hang out. And they looked at him walking like the walking dead. They said, Chris, what's going on, mate? You look terrible. I said, oh, I've been feeling terrible all night. Rushed him off to Barrel Hospital, checked him out, rushed him over to Liverpool Hospital, did some tests, quadruple bypass. He's alive today. Could have gone, my younger brother. We need to be ready for whenever that day will come. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. There is something more important than a grand final win. Let me conclude. 
I had a friend that I used to teach with. She died at the age of 40. We studied together at Sydney Teachers College and, and then we taught together for six years at Marrickville High. Uh, she married a teacher from the school, had a five-year-old daughter. She was head, of, uh, head teacher of another high school subsequent to her time at Marrickville High. We were told in her eulogy how she had remarked on how happy she was. She had recently celebrated her 40th birthday. She had a loving husband who made her complete, a delightful daughter and a great job. Life was going wonderfully well for her. About two weeks before her funeral, she collapsed with a massive heart attack. Many of our former staff at Marrickville High attended the funeral. Most were still in shock. They were lost for words. It just doesn't happen to people her age, they said. It doesn't seem real. How can she be dead? The priest pointed to Jesus' death and resurrection and spoke about eternal life. But not once did he speak about her having a personal faith in Christ. Not once did he speak of her service for Christ. Not once did he point us to having an ultimate goal, life with Christ in eternity. He simply prayed that she would be there. My mind went back to when we first talked about Jesus. The conversation we had about Christ when we began at Sydney Teachers College. That conversation continued in the staff room at Maryville High. I remember the first New Testament I gave her to read and to consider the claims of Christ. I remember uh, taking her and a few others to a, a Christian concert, a guy called David Meese. Some of the older ones will know who I'm talking about. My mind went back to the time she announced her, her engagement and that she didn't want to know about Christ and she put the Bible away. My mind went back to our discussion after she left her first husband, a broken woman looking for a new positive start to life, and then the news of her death. Sudden, unexpected, final. Absolutely heartbreaking. Many teachers asked me what I was doing with my life now. To some I said I was a Baptist minister. To many I said I was preparing people for eternity. Don't lose your soul for temporary success. Amen.